It's time now for Super Psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. Welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years this evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time and at 6 p.m. Eastern Time right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And today is October the 27th and we are live from beautiful Austin, Texas. And Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here making the show run. And we have a great, another, another great show in store for you. I always say we have a great show in store, but they're, I, these are amazing guests. So this evening we have a great guest in a little while. Um, he'll be joining us after the break. Um, we'll be joined on the phone from New York City by filmmaker Josh Aronson to discuss his new documentary that's about to be be released called To Be of Service, which is about veterans with PTSD who have found their service dog to be a mode of treatment that profoundly helps them to return to a life of feeling and love. And, um, you know, Josh is an award-winning filmmaker, and he's got an amazing history, so I'm really looking forward to talking to him about um, his history and and, um, the films he's made, as well as this particular film, To Be of Service. And then later in the program, producer of this show, Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, will be talking about a new musical series that he is producing right here in Austin, Texas, and he'll let you know about that. I won't tell you anything more until he is on the air. And along the way, I will be discussing um, some more thoughts that I've had and experiences that I've had um, that have made me think more about some issues to deal with and to help us. Um, to overcome some obstacles in living a life of passion. There were always obstacles along the way, so how can we overcome them? And I have some ideas about that, so stick around for that. And throughout this evening's program, we'll have a, we'll, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guests, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855-345-4720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me during the program, and I will read them on the air to my guests. And my email address is drmara, that's D-R-M-A-R-A, at drmaracarpel.com. D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L dot com. And again, if you do have questions, be sure to get them in um, while the show is still on the air, while the guest is still on the air, so that they can answer your questions. And you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website, and the link to the podcast will be posted later tonight, along with all of the website links that are mentioned in the program. 
And you can also hear the podcast as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blogtalkradio.com. That's B-L-O-G talkradio.com slash your golden years. And for information um, about the show, from previous shows, to listen to all of the shows that we've done since we've been on the Internet on Blog Talk Radio for the past six years, you can go to my website, drmaracarpel.com, and you can go directly to blog talk radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com, slash your golden years. If you go to my website, you can also find out about all of the blogs. You can read all the blogs that I've posted, find out about my book, um, any events that we've done. You can watch videos. So that's sort of a one-stop shop at drmaricarpel.com. And if you follow me on Facebook, you can find out about anything that is coming up. So future shows, um, blogs, as soon as they're posted, and any events and more. So so follow me on Facebook, and that is Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years. And if this is the first time that you're tuning in, I'm a licensed psychologist from New York City, practicing here in Austin, Texas, and occasionally in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. And I work with adults of all ages and have a specialty of working with seniors and caregivers. And for the past few years, I've been evaluating veterans for PTSD and other service-connected mental health conditions. And if you want to contact me, if you have any questions for me or any information that you think I should know about, feel free to give me a call. My phone number is 512-626-6973, or you can send me an email to drmara at drmarakarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A at D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com, or go through my website and just click on contact. And this evening's program is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions and sponsored by Dr. Ronald DeVere, neurologist, memory specialist, and author of the book, Memory Loss, Everything You Want to Know But Forget to Ask. To make an appointment with Dr. DeVere at his memory clinic in Lakeway, Texas, or to purchase a copy of his book, you can call him at 512-261-7909 or send him an email at rdevere, that's R-D-E-V-E-R-E, at austin.rr.com, and his book is also available on Amazon. And this evening's program is also sponsored by StoryHouse. StoryHouse gathers your stories and turns them into multimedia collections that can be shared now and for generations to come. Have StoryHouse over to conduct a private interview in your home or invite them to your next big event or family reunion. StoryHouse where your memories live. Find out more at yourstoryhouse.com or call 512-296-8752. Okay, we're going to take a brief break. We're going to play a few of our sponsors' commercials, but it's going to be very brief. So don't go anywhere because when we come back, we'll be joined from New York City by filmmaker Josh Aronson to discuss his new documentary, which is about to be released, called To Be of Service, about veterans with PTSD and their service dogs. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell, will be back after words from our sponsors. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden ears right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com. And now joining me on the phone from New York City, we have an award-winning filmmaker with quite a history of film and photography and many other uh, uh, avenues of of art and uh, visual arts and Josh Aronson just made a new documentary that's about to be released about veterans with PTSD and their service dogs. So he's joining us to talk about his new film, To Be of Service. Welcome, Josh. Thank you very much. A pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. I just want to just remind you there's a slight delay when we speak like this. So it just helps to keep that in mind. how are things in my hometown of New York? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I'm actually talking to you from upstate New York. I'm in Rhinebeck, New York, overlooking the Hudson oh. on a, on a oh, beautiful, beautiful rain. Are you there? I'm here, yes. Oh, okay. You cut out for a second. Okay. Um, I love Rhinebeck. It's beautiful yeah. this time of year especially. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Thank you. Yeah. So, so Josh, before we we speak about this movie that's coming out, um, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your history? Sure. Um, well, I uh, have been making documentary films for about 20 years uh, after making commercials uh, and television and uh, MTV rock videos for the 20 years before that or 15 years before that. I really started looking for ways that I could tell stories that were more meaningful to me, uh, less commercial certainly and less profitable, but much more satisfying. So I found my way to documentaries, uh, and I've made films on a range of subjects that's kind of mind-boggling when I look back. Um, I've made films about the world of the deaf, D-E-A-F, deaf, not hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've made films about the uh, the rodeo, uh, about um, a gender identity, um, films for showtime on transsexuals. I've made many films about classical music because I'm a classical pianist uh, as a hobby, but a hobby mm-hmm. for my entire life. And my wife is a classical uh, violinist, professional. So um, I've made a real range of things, 
And um, I've gotten to a place in my life that it's so difficult and so hard to raise the money for these films, and it takes so much out of you, that I only make films that completely grab me and hold on tight and won't let go until I make them. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. the nature of this one, um, to be of service, was certainly that kind of project that came to me from a friend who pitched me the idea. So you pick, so you pick um, projects of passion, it sounds like. Absolutely. You know, it's, as I said, it's just too hard to make these films. Uh, and to be in the middle of a project and to find yourself with flagging interest or boredom or counting the weeks or the months until it's over because it's so hard uh, is no fun at all. So I only do mm-hmm. ones that really, really grab me. Mm-hmm. So, so tell us about this film, To Be of Service. Well, to, to go back, to continue the theme of what I was saying, um, the person who brought me the film, her name was Julie Sayers, um, and she's a professor of screenwriting at USC. She's a dog lover, uh, has a, a dog, a wonderful German shepherd. And in her um, uh, travels as a professor, she has a class for veterans who wanted to learn how to, to write in Los Angeles. And she began to see vets with service dogs who would come in. Uh, and she saw the connection between the, the veterans and their dogs and, and heard the stories of how powerful the healing was when men with, and women with PTSD or other invisible injuries of war, mental injuries specifically, mm-hmm. how, how, how healing it was to have the dogs. And she pitched me the story about five years ago. And at that time in my life, I was on a hiatus between projects. I didn't know it was between projects. I had no project in, in the offing. But I had finished a very large-scale film, and uh, I was, in a way, going in and working on myself. My mother died seven years ago, and uh, mm. I really came to terms with that. My dad had died eight years um, before that. And uh, so, I, you know, I was, you know, in my late 50s, and I was you know, dealing with something we all deal with, which is, you know, being cut loose mm-hmm. from an orphan in the world. And one of the processes I, I found myself on in self-discovery was trying to self-actualize and, and become the person or find the person that I think I always was and what made me who I had been before and what were the difficulties. And what I confronted mm. was trauma. I confronted trauma in my own life. And I learned when I was a child. And what I learned was, in fact, everybody has trauma of some kind or another. There's, I can't imagine there's a person on Earth, sure. an adult on Earth, who hasn't had some kind of trauma. And I came to realize that we all have to deal with that trauma in order to function at one level. So when Julie came back to me um, a year and a half later, after I turned her down the first time because I wasn't taking jobs. It wasn't working. And uh, the film that she pitched really didn't grab me. But a year and a half later, I had, had done this, this walk about trauma and realized how universal it was. And I looked into the story that she pitched, and it came to me that this was a universal story. It wasn't just about vets with PTSD. Um, it was a story that we all could resonate with. 
And so that's something I always look for. And uh, as I'd been exploring what trauma was and how to heal from it, uh, it attracted me, and I dove in. And um, in doing the research and getting to know veterans with PTSD, I just became just entranced, and I became um, mm-hmm. a real student of uh, the impacts of war on human beings on all levels. And I became a student mm-hmm. of what PTSD is. And uh, I learned 15 to 20% of the veterans coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan uh, have PTSD. Uh, and that's, that's a profound number. And uh, PTSD is something that's powerful, it's real. It seems to really be an injury. It's something that is a neurological injury that's measurable and has symptomology mm-hmm. that is um, clear and consistent, and it's debilitating. So it was, uh, it was a real eye-opener for me and uh, heartbreakingly um, touching and painful and uplifting at the same time. So I can only say it was quite a, a transformative experience for me to live in these waters. Yeah. So how, how long were you doing it for? You said two years? Well, it, it was two and a half years from the time I began researching it until we finished mm-hmm. the film, which was uh, a few months right. ago, actually. Yeah. yeah. So right. it was quite a right. deep dive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as I mentioned in the introduction here, I work with veterans who have PTSD. That's, you know, that's my day job. <laughs> so and I understand what you're saying about how um, – disabling it can be. Um, What did you learn along the way in terms of, um, you know, the service dogs and how how that helped veterans who had PTSD? Well, you know, this, I I grew up with dogs and I, I had a, I loved my dogs. They were very nice dogs. And I used to ride my bicycle and take them out for runs and they were nice family pets. And I was kind of ignorant of the depth of the possibility of relationship with a dog because I just didn't know and I was self-absorbed and I was just a kid. And uh, these Mm -hmm. dogs in our family were just present, you know, and and they weren't well-trained. They were just nice dogs. Um, And what I saw saw is the dog, after a year and a half or two years of training, and then training with their handler or their owner or their future owner, two weeks of work. Um, what begins to happen is a bond that is so palpable that you feel it, and you feel it in the way they relate to each other. And what's interesting is the veterans who come with PTSD need a connection so badly because they've been sort of cut, cut off from all connection. The third stage, uh, as you well know, the third stage of, uh, of PTSD is, is freeze. It's fight, flight, freeze. And that freezing mm-hmm. in, with the vets who've returned, the freezing is an emotional freezing. They, they report that they cannot feel, they can't love. And one of my vets right. described it in the film so poignantly. He said it was like being under a frozen lake of ice a foot of ice on top of hmm. you and you could see through the ice and you could bang on it. But even though you could see your family on the other side, you couldn't get through. And it was just a heartbreaking description. 
And he couldn't feel. He couldn't feel love. He couldn't feel tenderness or connection. He just felt rage and flashbacks and nightmares and all the symptoms of it and tried very hard to, you know, be able to come out of it, but ended up with alcohol and with drugs, as many of them do. But the dog, Mm -hmm. for the first time, the dog connects with them in a way that's just remarkable because they get the dog home, they have this bond with this animal, and they feel the unconditional quality of the relationship, that the dog loves them unconditionally. And why that is so important is many veterans come home with just a pile of shame and guilt and things that they'll rarely, if ever, talk about, things that they saw, things that they did, uh, the traumas that caused the PTSD, and it's debilitating. But they won't talk about it because it's just too rough. There, there's, a, there's a history of that going back you know, long before World War II. The veterans won't talk about what happened in the war. Well, with, with the dogs, no matter what you did, no matter what you saw, no matter how angry you are, no matter how guilty you are of um, things that you, sh- you have shame about, the dog will still love you. And they begin to mm-hmm. feel that. Now, what happens then is the dog needs you because a dog has to go out. You have to take, you have to take care of the dog because he's very dependent on his owner. So many of the vets I met who had been shut-ins, literally shut-ins, who would hardly ever leave their apartments for various reasons, various fears, various phobias, they have to take their dog to a dog park. They have to take their dog out to pee. And just the act of having that responsibility begins to open the door. And as they take the dog out for a walk, as they have to feed the dog, and they have to groom the dog, it's something to take them out of themselves. And they feel Mm -hmm. the connection more and more. And that begins to open a door of feeling to the dog. And they begin to love the dog. And then from that, the door continues to open. And they report that they start to love their families again. And it brings them back to, Mm. to feeling. Remarkable. And although the dogs are trained with sometimes 80 to 100 different commands that are useful to vets with PTSD uh, or with invisible injuries of different kinds, traumatic brain injury, uh, in the case of vets who are disabled uh, and in a wheelchair, the dogs can get their meds, can get things, can open and close a refrigerator door and lots of things that dogs can do. But everyone reported that the most important thing for healing was not the commands, it was the bond. It was the battle buddy, as they called him. That for the first time, they had a relationship as close and as tight as they had had with their, their buddies in their unit at war. And that connection mm-hmm. is the healing connection. It's the love that does it. So yeah, yeah. I, saw that, I saw it consistently and I heard about it consistently from dog trainers, from veterans, from groups of veterans who all agreed that that was it. Right. That's pretty amazing what you're describing. Um, I do hear from, from some of the vets that come in if I, you know, some live by themselves, but they, well, they say, I don't live by myself. I have a dog. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, they're very close with their dogs. And they're not always service dogs. I mean, they're dogs that they adopted as a pet that they had a bond that they have a bond with. But that's true. So, uh, and certainly that's possible with a dog. The thing about the service dogs though, of course, is that they're trained and they're temperamentally suited to be a service dog so they can be with the vet 24/7. 
everywhere they go, every airplane they go on, every train right. they go on, so they can really have the security of their battle buddy all the time, and that's vital. Right, right. So you can't go on a plane with a dog, right, or a train or um, or even into supermarkets with a dog unless it's, it's a service dog, right? That's exactly right, yeah. The, the service mm-hmm. dog always wears a vest, and you always have paperwork to show uh, that uh, he's a trained service dog. And it's illegal for a restaurant or a supermarket or any store to deny access to uh, a person that has a service dog. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So with these, um, with these veterans, did they have someone, a special trainer, or were they trained to train their dog themselves? Well, in the case of of our experience in the film, and we went looking for this, all of the veterans got dogs from a a certified uh, service dog training organization. And the dogs were trained for usually a year and a half to two years, very intensive training. Uh, And they were selected uh, in the group. Often there were 10% of them fail uh, the programs uh, because they have some temperamental flaw that keeps them from being able to be a service dog. Either they uh, they spook at other dogs or cats, or they might not be able to. They they, they don't like children, and they they respond in a certain way that they, they that is not acceptable. Mm. Um, there are some of them. One of the things they have to learn to do is to walk between the veterans' legs. So when you get on an airplane with a narrow aisle, there's a command called middle. And the dog will literally get between their legs and walk between their legs comfortably and down the aisle, you know, with lots of people on either side and not be distracted by it. And then uh, they have to be able to sleep in the uh, under the seat in front of the vet in very, very tight quarters. And they have to do that very calmly for the duration of the flight. Uh, and they're trained to do that. Uh, so um, uh, these, these dogs have very, very long training periods. And uh, the veterans then have to be trained to use them and how to give them the right commands and how to be the alpha person in the alpha member of the relationship to be in control because the dogs like to be in, have a master who's in control. They want a job. They want to be told what to do. What makes them happy is to please their owner. And all they need is a pat on the head and a good boy. (laughs) It's a pretty good bargain. Mm -hmm. Right. Wow. (laughs) So what happens to the dogs that fail? Uh, the dogs that fail, by and large, are the best pets that you could possibly get. And my right. wife and I, actually, I've been talking about getting a dog at some point soon. We have an old cat, so we want to, when that cat dies, which will break our hearts, we might get a dog at that point. And I would go to um, one of the dog training organizations I've been working with and look for a failed dog. Because in our case, we won't be taking a dog on an airplane, and if a dog can't do that, or if a, a dog spooks at you know at something or a loud noises or things, you know there'll be a, there's a small thing maybe that that dog won't do, but in every, every other way, it'll be temperamentally a wonderful dog and beautifully trained, and uh, you could hardly do better than that for a pet. Um, so they, right. they get adopted. What happens? They they get adopted. They get adopted. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Well, that's very interesting. So, so did you follow the same veterans for a period of time to to see the the change um, yes. that happened in their lives? Yes. Um, we uh, the the structure of the film 
is complicated because there's many, many characters in the film. All of the characters have dogs, but some of the characters have had their dogs for years when we get to know them, and we learn about their stories. Um, but in two of the characters in the film, we meet before they get their dogs when they're shut-ins and they're really struggling, and they have decided to get a dog, and they've gotten themselves to a place where they're able to qualify. Um, and I'll go into that in a second, if you like, what that means. Sure. Then we mm-hmm. follow, yeah, yeah. Then we follow them to get their dog, and we go to the training camp with them, and we check in and watch them. It's two weeks, so we, we don't film the whole time. But, you know, in the beginning or the middle, and there's a graduation ceremony at the end. And then we went with the, both of those vets to the day they come home with their dog. And then I kept going back for, in one case, a year to see the progress. So it's exactly as you described. It's what we call a longitudinal story uh, in which we follow the progress over time. And by the end, um, in fact, long before the end, we see within three or four months in both cases just tremendous um, 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 reduction in the symptomology of PTSD and uh, uh, how beneficial it is. And with the other characters in the film, we certainly learn the same story because they talk about that story that's happened to them. But more importantly, what I do in the film is I weave that longitudinal story into a broader story of aspects of uh, something that really interested me most in this film, which is to tell us a story about the impact of PTSD on veterans coming back from war with PTSD. What's the impact? And to show a film to really show the cost of war and who our warriors are, uh, uh, how difficult it is for them to come home, uh, how poorly, by and large, not in all cases, but in many cases, how poorly they're handled by the VA, how over-medicated they are by the VA. VA. Uh, And there's a plea in the film to really understand the cost of war, how powerful it is on our uh, young people that we train into killers. I mean, that is the idea, that basic training teaches them to pull the trigger and kill and go off and be a warrior. There's no returning from that journey. Going to combat is a one-way journey, and you change forever. And the job is to be brought home with honor and with enough um, uh, training to reintegrate as a civilian. And that is, is something that our government is not doing very well at this point. We haven't done it well since World War II. So that story. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a section on the history of PTSD, which is to say that long before the malady was called PTSD, uh, this war trauma, the symptoms, have been with us since Gilgamesh for 5,000 years. We've been seeing it in literature. The Iliad describes PTSD. That Achilles certainly had PTSD when his best friend Patroclus was killed. Shakespeare in the War, mm-hmm. war Play describes it. Uh, it's in the Bible. There's just many, many instances throughout history of something that had a different name but was in fact PTSD. And this is the legacy of war on the warriors. So at the end of the film, we have a section where our characters say, you know, a female veteran, an army veteran, says a wonderful woman named Sylvia Bowersox. She says, people know what you do when you send us to these places and make sure it's the right thing to do, that we've tried everything mm-hmm. we possibly to avoid conflict before we pull the trigger and start war. Uh, and that's the plea of the film, because so often in the 
in uh, recent times, in recent decades, we've gone to war at times it was not necessary. And the legacy is, is on our, our children that we send off at 19. And they're changed sure. and they're, they're devastated forever. Sure. Did, did um, any of the veterans talk about how, you know, they had signed up to be in the military not expecting to go to war? Um, you know, very often that I, what I've seen is, you know, um, people signing up to be in the military when we were at peace and there were no wars. And then once they got in, um, so much for, you know, traveling around the world and going to school and learning all of the things that they expected to learn, but they were sent to war and came back unable to do any of those things because of PTSD. Well, not not just that. Yes, uh, except, uh, one or two of our vets talked about that. There was one veteran uh, who we followed in the film. Um, uh, he was actually a third character. Um, who we just didn't have time for. So he's a little, he's on our website, but he's not in the main film. But that was his story. Uh, he, he signed up mm-hmm. um, time when there was no war. He, he was going to go to college. He wanted uh, the benefits of what the military could bring to him. But in fact, he was sent off to war. He was in the National Guard, and the National Guard was called up with Desert Storm. And uh, he had three or four deployments after that and had planned to go to college. And each time he would come back, and try to go to college, and he would be redeployed, and they would pull him out. So it was just not the deal that he'd signed up for at all, and it was devastating to him. So, yes, mm-hmm. um, well, most of our other veterans uh, signed up either after 9-11, uh, and they just signed on because they wanted to, to, you know, to help out with the effort. Um, of course, many of them later discovered that the, the invasion of Iraq was what they called a bogus war, and wasn't the right war, and they felt betrayed. And uh, so, you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of there's, there's a lot of different colors and dimensions. And uh, sure, the the one thing that's unifying, though, despite that, that is quite extraordinary, and and, and people are very surprised at this scene. It's the fact that every single one of the warriors in the film said that if they could go back and deploy again they would do it knowing the outcome would be the same and that it was just it's just stunning to hear that from every one of them and the reason is that that was a time of their life where they had connection with other human beings which was their battle buddies their unit that mm-hmm. was so tight that was so loving that uh, they would do anything for each other. They were trained to be that way, and if you're in combat together, um, you are, are forged to be that way. And, and, and they felt they had meaning. Uh, what they were doing meant something. And it was not connected to the political reason we were at war. It was connected to their brothers. And they felt meaningful. They, they felt the power of that. And then they, didn't, they didn't find that in their lives when they came back. And many of them came from um, backgrounds where there was more pain and more difficulty than they faced in war. So it was a very interesting portrait of who goes to war, who our warriors are, and uh, what it feels like to be in combat. Maybe that, that speaks to why we've been at war for 5,000 for, since the beginning of the right. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's a good point. I, I have heard that quite a bit, that, you know, veterans um, – when they come back, they they feel like they've lost meaning. They don't know what to do now that's as meaningful as 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 it was life was when they were deployed, and that they don't have that same connection as they had with their brothers and sisters in arms. 
Exactly um, right. Exactly. Mhm. Mhm. So, um, you know, I know that your job is the filmmaker, but do you um, are there resources that you know of that um, anyone listening um, might be able to contact and um, to find out about service dogs? Well, on our on our website, uh, we have a section um, under I think it's under cast. There's pull down menus, and we have uh, a number of service dog organizations that we work with. Uh, who are first rate. They're across the country and they're first rate, and one could get in touch with them. Um, and uh, their, uh, our website is tobeofservicefilm.com. And that's a very good starting place. You can learn wonderful websites in Florida, in San Diego, uh, training organizations in, in New York, in California, in, in uh, Florida. Um, they're, they're all over the country. And um, uh, that's as good a start as any. Or you could, anyone had questions, you could write us. Our website is there, info at um, tobeofservicefilm.com, and um, we'll be happy to direct you. Um, and uh, Google, you know, there's, there, there are places all over. Um, just be careful. There's a certification organization called the ADI, and I would watch to make sure that the organization you're going to is certified as a um, uh, dog training organization certified for veterans. Um, because there's a lot okay. of people training dogs, and you want to make sure you have a dog that's being trained pro- properly. Okay, and so that's ADI is the certifi- the certifying organization. Exactly. Yeah. Mhm. Mhm. Okay, that's great. I think that would be a really good, um, re- you know, ref- uh, reference for people because I know a lot of people have come to me and asked about um, finding service dogs, and I really don't know because that's not information that's given to me so um. actually although the although the VA does not pay for the service dogs which is a, a a real discussion and we're trying to lobby through congress uh several bills that uh, have been written and have been pushed for some years now uh to mandate that the VA pay for the service dogs they're expensive they're $25,000 um mm. but, but the VAs do recommend service dogs, and the local VA chapters where veterans are will have um, uh, good service dog organizations they can recommend. And they're very okay. supportive of recognize how powerful it is. Okay. Okay, great. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah. I, should so, correct, I, should, I should correct one thing. You know, ABI um, uh, certified dog traders are very good. And it's not that um, dog trainers that are not certified by the ADI are not good. It's just that you don't know. Uh, one of the trainers that we worked with in ours was called the uh, Patriotic Service Dog Foundation. Uh, he happens to not be certified just because he never did. Uh, he's been, uh, Tom Tackett is his name, and he's been a dog trainer his whole life. He's a magnificent trainer. And uh, he just is a small organization outside of Los Angeles. And uh, just never, uh, never certified because he just had a lineup of people wanting his dogs. And in fact, they're among the best uh, trained dogs that we've ran into. And uh, I highly recommend him in California, the Patriotic Service Dog Foundation. And you can read about him on our website as well. Okay, okay, writing that down. Um, I'm going to be posting all of this on my website post about this show. So, um, so any listeners who 
didn't get a chance to write it down, <laughs> they can find it there. Um, so how can listeners find out more about the movie or um, see it when it's released? And when is it being released? Well, it's it's actually opening in New York and Los Angeles in the next two weeks on November 1st in New York City uh, and uh, at the Cinema Village. You can go to our website. You don't have to scramble if you're in New York to write this down. Just go to the same website, and on the homepage it will tell you to be of service film.com and in Los Mm -hmm. Angeles it opens on November the 8th um, at the Lemley Music Hall on Wilshire and then it's opening in Chicago, it's going to be in uh, St. Louis, it's going to be in a number of cities uh, throughout the month of November because of Veterans Day of course and then beyond that um, screenings you can see uh, there's a pull down menu under screenings on our website and it'll tell you where we have screenings but beyond that, uh, it's going to be uh, on Netflix uh, in the middle of November, so you can get it there. And um, our, on our website, it'll give you directions if you wanted to host a screening in your community. Um, there'll be a lot of university screenings across the country in the years to come. We have a lot of interest from um, departments at universities, uh, so there'll be local screenings, certainly. Uh, museums will show it, we're sure. So we're just beginning to roll it out. Uh, but the information you can always find on our uh, Facebook page, which is To Be Of Service, uh, or our website, uh, com. Okay, great. And it'll be on Netflix, which is wonderful. Yes. <laughs> so, so if it's not in, in, a, in your area, you can watch it on Netflix. Exactly. Um, awesome. All right. So um, is, do you have another website as well, just with all of your other work, or is this just your main focus today? Well, no, no I have my, uh, the website for my company, which is called AronsonFilms.com. And there's one A in Aronson, okay. A-R-O-N-S-O-N, Films.com. And you can, you can see the range of work I've done over the years, and uh, thank you for asking. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I looked at your history, and there's quite a bit. So, um, and it looks, you know, looks like you've done some really great work. So I'm going to post that as well on my website if people are interested. Um, and thank you so much for, for being on the program and, and speaking about this. This is really, really an important topic. And, you know, there are a lot of treatments for PTSD, and, and it's hard to find one that really works. But it sounds like this is something that's really extremely powerful. Yeah, it, it is really powerful. And the thing about it is, as all of my vets said, it's not a cure. There's no cure for PTSD. But like all forms of trauma, it's, it's a way to heal enough so that you can function and it brings you back into the world. And uh, together with the proper therapy and the proper medications, not the wrong medications, not too much medications, but with good therapy and medications, uh, a service dog is a wonderful support. It's like the third leg of the triangle. And, uh, you know, it's not a panacea. It doesn't solve the problem, but it it goes a long way towards healing. And uh, everyone who gets a service dog reports that their life is so much better and so much more functional. And uh, and uh, we can recommend it very highly. I saw miracle stories in the years that I was filming this. Right. 
Right. And being able to live our lives and, and enjoy our lives is really the main the main issue, isn't it? <laughs> it's the main goal. Exactly right. Yeah. And and to yeah. feel and to love and to be part and of to community. feel in love. Absolutely. Have relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Um thank thank you so much again and um I look forward to seeing the movie. I'm I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna watch it and and spread the word. And I look forward to seeing what else you're doing. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. All right. You have a good evening. You too. Bye. All right. Bye bye. Okay, we're going to take a brief break. We have lots more to come, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Worry about memory loss? Dr. Ronald DeVere, certified neurologist and director of Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders in Lakeway, has been helping those with dementia and memory loss for over 12 years. Specializing in the diagnosis, treatment, and counseling of those with memory loss and dementia, Dr. DeVere also has a book to reduce your worry and fear by knowing the fact. Memory loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. Available now on Amazon.com. Dr. Ronald DeVere, Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders center in Lakeway, and his book, Memory Loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. For more information or to schedule an appointment, call 512-261-7909. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaracarpell.com. All right, we are back. And if you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years right here on Blog Talk Radio and on drmaracarpell.com. And um, before I go to my topic about living more, more thoughts about living a passionate life, and then Art will join us to talk about his musical series here in Austin, um, just some news. Um, if you've been following this program or following my Facebook or website, you know that I posted a blog a couple of weeks ago called Spirituality Without Compassionate Action is Selfish. (laughs) Creating with Compassion is a Key Element to Passionate Living was the subtitle. And that blog was reposted again today to Sivana Press. So I think it's it's been in Thrive Global, which is Ariana Huffington's online um, platform and it's been in Savannah um, spirit uh, before and this is the third time actually that they posted it so I guess this is a topic that a lot of people connect to Um, we're living in a world where um, people want to have more spirituality and they um, want to live a more passionate life and they're they're really trying but um, we can get too caught up in uh, just thinking about ourselves when we do it, and it and we we hit a brick wall when we do that because it's just not sustainable if we're not um, taking compassionate action at the same time. So, like for example, just even our guest that was just on, Josh Aronson, um, told us. He needed a project that he felt really passionate about in order to keep 
the keep doing the work and what drew him in it sounded to me like was had a lot to do with compassion and that's what kept him going through the difficulties of doing this project and whatever we're doing along our our passionate path whatever we're dream whatever dream we're following we're going to have difficult times it's not always going to be easy but if there's something that gets us out of bed even um, on those harder days to keep going then that's what will make us successful in following the passion and um, feeling more joy and compassion and knowing that we're doing what we're doing for a bigger reason is one of those things that keeps us going. And if we um, believe ourselves to be spiritual, it really, what spirituality really means is knowing that we are all connected. And so if we're doing that in isolation, then we're not giving anything back to those that we're connected with. Again, we're just trying to manifest things for ourselves you know, picturing, imagining that we have everything that we want, following the secret and the law of attraction and all of that. But that's not really spirituality unless we are in touch with that I, that knowing that we are all connected. And so whatever we're doing, we're not just manifesting it for ourselves. We're helping other people. That will help us um, to make a quantum leap in in following our dreams when we're doing things for other people with compassion. Okay, so um, so that was that news. That article was reposted. I sort of got off on a tangent, which is part of what I wanted to talk about this evening anyway. Um, and the other, and I do have some more blogs that are in the process of being written, so keep your eye open for that, and they will be posted on my Facebook page and on my website when they're done. As I mentioned last week, I gave a talk at the Unity Church in Brownsville on Sunday last Sunday before the show last week about um, the elements of living a passionate life, and I am in the process of of setting up some more speaking engagements here and in New York. And so I'll, I will let you know if you are interested in having me speak wherever you are, let me know. All right. That's it for the news. Um, But I did, you know, connected to what I spoke about last week at the, uh, at the unity church was as I was coming up with what I was going to speak about there You know, I I frequently speak about the four essential ingredients of living a passionate life, as well as the bricks and the foundation. Um, And I realized that there was a fifth element, a fifth pillar, and that is that of action, that we can't just imagine what we want. So the other four elements are dreaming, having, you know, allowing ourselves to dream, Um, having gratitude, having compassion. The action from the compassion is generosity. That's already there as a pillar. But then action um, towards following our dreams. We actually have to do something. So, you know, again, people are very 
into the law of attraction these days and the secret and, and, and feeling like you don't have to do much. You just imagine it and you manifest it. Well, you know, whatever you believe about that, that might actually, you know, help to manifest things in your life, but you actually have to do something with it. So it's something, the opportunity, however it comes into your life, whether you have imagined, you know, did the law of attraction or it just happened, you actually have to follow it. You have to take the opportunity because otherwise it'll just disappear. So there, we have to act. Action is an important part of um, living a passionate life. And when we act, it opens us up to other opportunities and maybe different different um, twists and turns in the path, Um, you know, we may be walking down one in one direction and discover that we're not really in the going in the right direction, that things need to be changed. So we have to take action to actually change it, maybe um, tweak it a little bit, maybe take a, a different fork in the road. It's okay. We need to be flexible. And I, and I talked about that um, a, while, uh, a while back, that flexibility is a really important part of this journey, that we need to be flexible. We need to be willing to make changes if things aren't going well. When we have a picture of something and the way that it should be, it's not we need to know that it isn't going to be exactly how, how we picture it. And that's okay because it could be better than how we pictured it. We don't have the capacity to think of every wonderful thing that can happen to us. So we have to allow that. We have to be flexible. And if we are have our blinders on and only um, are willing to accept one way of things happening, then we are closing our eyes to all these other amazing possibilities that come along. And sometimes hitting a wall is actually a gift. It's telling us to go in a different direction that might be better and to take the lessons that we learned from the way that we were originally going. That's okay. It's not a failure. It's a change and it's growth. It's part of the growth process. Um, I also wanted to talk a little bit about a couple of experiences that I have related to compassion and generosity. So um, last Monday, I was stuck. I was stranded on South Padre Island. And the reason was there was a huge storm the night before and a tornado warning and Um, and my ride was on the other side of the bridge (laughs) to get back to Austin. And I couldn't get over the bridge because they couldn't come to pick me up. And so I just needed a ride across the bridge. Everybody was leaving the hotel because we just had this big storm and the power was out and there was no reason to stay on South Padre Island. It was a mess power lines had come down and even the poles holding them had come down and so the first person so everybody was leaving and there's just one bridge to cross so the first person who was leaving at the guest of the hotel I asked 
and he said no, he wasn't going to take me over the bridge. And he really he tried to come up with various reasons why he couldn't take me over the bridge that all sounded like he was trying to think of something at that moment. And I was kind of surprised because I think that I imagine how I would handle it in an emergency where everybody was sort of uh, bonding together during this disaster, right, Um, to help each other. And I think that I would have said yes immediately without any thought. Um, And so that was sort of surprising to me. But the next group of people that were leaving were a young family that lived in Mexico and they were going home to Mexico. They cut their vacation short because of the storm and the um, outcome of the storm. And I asked them, and they took me in their car. And when I told them that I was originally from New York, they just loved that because they had been to New York and told me that everybody was so kind to them there um, that Whenever they were lost, people came to help them. When they looked confused, they would come over and ask them if they could help them get to where they were going, which is, you know, New Yorkers have, we have a bad reputation, but New Yorkers can be very helpful and kind. Um, And so as we were crossing the bridge, I was, again, saying thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And the husband who was driving, said to me, this is good. This is good. We need to start trusting each other again. And I said, yeah, I think people have become kind of paranoid. And he said, paranoid, that's what it is, paranoid. And that really struck me. It made me sad that people have lost the trust in each other, that we can't even help each other out in a disaster. Um, but it also made me feel really good that that this family had helped me and that in a way I had helped them because he seemed to feel really good that he had done this and that he had allowed himself to trust someone enough to help them. And when I got out of the car, everybody was smiling and waving and um I think that it was just a really, ended up in a really positive um, situation. So I guess it, it got me to think about how compassion and generosity are so powerful in in creating more passion in our lives, just as I was talking about a few minutes ago. Um, it, you know, you never know when you have the opportunity to help someone Um, But when you do, you're not just helping them, you're helping yourself because it is such a powerful way for you to open yourself up um, to, to, I don't know, it's a magical feeling. Um, Okay, so that that experience. Um, Another experience that I had had to do with the opposite of that. there, I've I've seen people behaving really mean and nasty to each other, and again, um, criticisms that are just um, over the over the line. 
and um, I've talked about this issue of criticism, and, and I wrote about it in the book, that um, when you're on your journey and you are doing what you really like to do and you're following your path, you're following your dream, you are displaying compassion and generosity to other people, you're being honest about how you feel and honest in your compassion. Not everybody is going to like that. Guaranteed, there are going to be people who, for various reasons, are going to criticize you. They're going to criticize you because they're envious that you're doing, that you're really living a fuller life, that you're doing what you want to do. They're criticizing you because they're fearful that maybe you'll leave them behind when you do this. Um, maybe there are people in your life that are fearful that you're that you're not going to be interested in um, having a relationship with them anymore because now you're on to bigger and better things. They're fearful because it turns a light onto their life and it makes them feel like, uh-oh, I need to do something more, but I don't want to. Um, and then if you're being truthful, there are people who don't want to hear your truth because they disagree with you and they don't, they can't handle that disagreement. They want you to agree with them. They want everybody to agree with them or else you are no good. And they need to let you know that. Um, And it's inevitable. It's going to happen. And so as I wrote about in, in the book, there are various ways to deal with that. And one is um, understanding where it's coming from so that you can have some compassion for people that are feeling that way. Um, And the compassion doesn't make you stick around and say that it's okay, but it helps you to not take it personally so that you can, you can really understand this is their issue. It's not mine. I feel for them. Maybe they will um, see me as a role model and they'll, they'll um, want to start following their passion when they see that I'm, that I'm doing really well um, following mine. Um, and an understanding that when people hurt you, very often it's because they're hurting themselves, that they themselves are in pain and they don't know how else to deal with that pain they haven't found a constructive way of dealing with it, and so they will hurt other people. They will project onto them all sorts of negative things, and they will get angry at you and blame you and hurt you. So if you have that understanding, it's easier for you to let it roll off of you and say, you know what, I'm not going to ingest their toxins. And this is a brick in the foundation of those those pillars of living a passionate life, not ingesting the toxins of other people, being able to just let it go through you. Um, It's not always easy. A lot of times they press a button that um, triggers your own self-criticism and your own self-sabotage. I mean, human beings can be the meanest to ourselves. 
than even more than other people to us. So there are things that other people say that sort of trigger that that whole um, diatribe that we have going on in our mind of all the negative things about ourselves. And so it it it's a challenge. And one of the ways of dealing with that challenge is finding social support, speaking to other people who are on the journey with you, who support you. They may not be doing the same thing as you, but they're following their passion. They're also being authentic and genuine in stating what they see as fact. And having their support, knowing that they have your back and you have their back. For me, that has been one of the most powerful ways of of dealing with criticism is finding, knowing that I'm not alone, finding people who um, share the same values and the same goals and the same passion for life and um, even reaching out to them to help them with what they're dealing with helps me because not just for that reason that I mentioned earlier, that feel-good reason of generosity and compassion, but because now we have this connection and we can help each other, and I know that we are on the path together. It can be, it can be very lonely when you try to do this by yourself. When you have support of other people, it makes a tremendous difference. And, um, you know, I just wrote like a little note earlier to myself about how it's very easy to get pulled down by other people who you don't even you don't even expect it they come out of the woodwork to try to knock you down but if you keep looking forward and you and you are reminded of those people in your life who are supportive or you go out and you find people who are like-minded, who are on this path of passion, then, you're remi- then you remember that there are many more, many more people out there who are supporting you and have your back than there are critics. We just tend to focus on the negative. The, the human mind is, set up that way. It's not your fault. It's not our fault. It's just that our brain processes information that way, that when somebody says something negative, we focus on that much more than the 10 people who have said supportive things to us. So if we kind of take control of that, if we know that that's happening and we sort of pivot away from that negativity and we go towards those people who are very supportive and we can be supportive of them, then we are reminded again that that's that's much more powerful. There are many, many more people that that we can be in alignment with, that we can have each other's backs. And that's what helps us to get through um, those times when we are being criticized. And it helps to make us more resilient for the next time that we're going to be criticized. So very important, find positive people to be around. Find compassionate people who share your interests, your thoughts, your way of seeing the world. 
and find positive people. Positive people will treat you the way that you deserve to be treated. And they will treat themselves positively, and they're a role model for you to treat yourself positively. So these are, I think, the most powerful ways of dealing with criticism. Um, We are social creatures. Just as Josh was talking about, we're social creatures. We need to have connections with people. And um, when the connections are negative, it's important to find positive connections. And if these people that are criticizing us are not really close relationships that we, you know, don't want to they, they're the close relations it's a little more, little bit more complicated we don't necessarily want to immediately cut it off although we might want to distance ourselves when they're when those people are being critical but if these people are not close relationships then stop hanging around with them um, find people who are more positive and more supportive okay so On that note, I I do want to just mention one more thing. In terms of action, I have come up with some, you know, some uh, lists that I like to use in the morning and the evening that help to guide me with action and help remind myself to, uh, to act, at least do one thing towards following my dream every day. Um, So I have a morning plan and also includes a list of things that I'm grateful for and how I'm going to share my light with the world today and how I'm going to bring light into my own life. And then in the evening, being able to reinforce that by going to sleep, feeling good about what I am grateful for from that day, what I've done, what I accomplished, and maybe the things that I didn't get to do that I could put off to another day. Um, or things that maybe I need to tweak, do a little bit differently, or things that I can let go of that I really didn't need to do. So if you're interested in um, having me send you these lists that you do daily, morning and evening, um, send me an email to Mara D-R-M-A-R-A, at drmaracarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A at, oh, D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com. So drmara at drmaracarpel.com. And I'll just send you the PDF for these lists that I use, and maybe you'll find it helpful. Um, it's free. So if you're interested, just send me an email, let me know. All right. So on that note, we're going to go to the producer of this, program, Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, and he's going to tell us about um, some new projects that he's working on. Art Mendoza.
I leave the north now to survive. She owed so many people, she stayed alive. If you get in front of her past, she will. She'll eat you alive. It's the truth. You have a little trouble with your nose. Watch it change colors like a rosy glow. If you see your face in the mirror when it's down on its side, you better hide. You'll lose your hide and I'm going to show you. Transaction, you make a buy. Well, it's all in fashion. You want to try? If you seek the truth from the mountain where it grows and it thrives, they'll say she lied. You better hide. All right, and we're back, and we were just listening to the music of our producer, Art Mendoza. Yes, you were. Okay. So, Art, what's going on? What Tell us about this new project you have going on. Which one are you talking about? All right. You you decide which one to talk about first. The, uh, I think you're talking about the... Uh... The backstage at Del Mercado. The backstage. Let's start with that. And uh, we've been open now for two shows. The first one was with the Jasmanian Devil, Tomas Ramirez. And uh, the second one was with Blues, Mr. Bobby Mack. And uh, next will be the celebration of Dia de los Muertos, which will be on October 31st. And that should be a lot of fun. Hopefully the people will come in with their faces painted up and see who wins the prize for the best face paint. And uh, then after that, we have in November, the 14th, will be Lisa Marshall Trio. Phenomenal singer, really great, great singer. And uh, I think the real special surprise will be on December 12th. It's also called the Dia de the Virgin Guadalupe, and it'll have uh, the Mariachi Los Gallos, which uh, will be an incredible band of wa- mariachi group to watch because it's just there's something about mariachi music that just makes you want to celebrate. Mm-hmm. So that's going on. And, so uh, tell us, tell us, wait, wait, wait. Tell us where is El Mercado, the backstage? Well, the backstage is on South First, 1302 South First, and um, the backstage is in the back part of the restaurant. It's a great place to go get some food and eat before you see the show. 
And uh, it's just a great place. The sound system is probably one of the top sound systems in the city. And uh, great engineer. And it was set up for musicians. So it's really, really good. And, uh, and you can get food while you're watching the show as well, right? Exactly. You can. You know, I was watching you what eat time? a lot of food that other time. <laughs> yeah, okay. The, so door, the, the door will open at 6.30. The door opens at 6.30, and then the downbeat is 7.30, except for December. The downbeat will be at uh, 8 o'clock because the mariachi band will be playing at a uh, church prior to coming to the uh, – the restaurant. So that's what's going on, and we have a lot more happening. Also, uh, Accomplice Entertainment just acquired two days for South by Southwest, which will be March 20th and 21st, and uh, we have a lot that's going to be happening there. Bobby Mack has already agreed to play for the night that uh, my partner, Larry Cohen, will be coming in and giving a lecture on the blues. Um, if nobody knows who Larry Cohen is, he's a incredible producer who has signed so many bands for CBS, Sony, and Legacy Records, and um, he wrote the Grammy-winning book, uh, Nothing But the Blues, which he will be selling there as well. And we also will have a uh, videotaping of your show via cameras and uh, have it ready to present to the national networks and also cable networks. So we got a lot going on. And because uh, just to let you know, we're not just a radio production. We're literary, music, film, anything that has to do with the arts, we're we're involved in it. So let's end it with that. Let I me mean, put some more music on, and then you can say goodbye to everybody. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Thanks. So let everybody know what's going on. Oh, you want me to do that first? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so next Sunday, November 3rd, we'll be back with another show. And this time we'll be live in our Austin studio again. We haven't done that in a while. And Jay Schneider of Bridge to Shore Interventions and Sober Services will be back with us in the studio. And he's bringing someone with him, um, I don't know their name yet, who also works in long-term treatment for addictions. And they will be talking about um, long-term treatment and the difficulties people face during the holidays when they're in long-term treatment for addictions. And more. We always have more. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from this show and get the links that to the websites that my guests spoke about and what Art was speaking about and, and some information I will be posting as well, um, go to my website, and it will all be there later tonight along with the podcast, so drmarakartel.com. And also be sure to follow me on Facebook for upcoming information, Dr. Mara Carpel, Your Golden Years. And if you want to listen to this evening's program, again, in just five minutes from now, you can go directly to blog talk radio, B-L-O-G, talkradio.com slash your golden years, and it'll be there forever, but it'll start, it'll launch in five minutes. And this show is was produced by Compass Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions, and sponsored by neurologist and memory specialist, Dr. Ronald DeVere, and by Storyhouse. And special thanks to my guests, 
Josh Aronson. And, of course, thank you to Art. And thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. I'll give myself away. Just to make you feel okay. Oh, down, feeling nothing. guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show. Ooh, wow.